When we think about architecture, well, inevitably, I think we think about construction, the process of making things. The architect we're about to meet, E.R. Weitzman, he's concerned with architecture as destruction. Uh, he's interested in that space where violence and architecture collide. Analysis of shrapnel fragments in a room struck by drones in Pakistan, perhaps. Architectural recreation of a a secret Syrian detention centre. He's using new research methods to look at state violence, at human rights violations, through this idea of forensic architecture. He's Professor of Spatial and Visual Cultures at Goldsmiths College and and the, the founder of Forensic Architecture, author of Forensic Architecture, Violence at the Threshold of Detectability. He joins us from London via Skype. Earl, welcome. Yes, happy to be here. Perhaps describe this idea for us, define these terms, forensic architecture. I would start by by saying that a forensic architect is like a pathologist of a building. So what we do is looking sometimes at destroyed elements of a building, often in a situation of war, and trying to say what has happened around it. Uh, was there a firefight? Uh, was there a bomb? And if yes, which one? And to a certain extent, become something like archaeologists of the very recent past, trying to figure out what has happened by looking at the shape of uh, architectural ruins. But of course, because very often we cannot really get to the places where uh, violence takes place when it takes place, Mm. we need to look at uh, photographs and video uh, representation of that uh, situation, for example, in Gaza under Israeli bombing or in Syria, uh, we would look at social media photographs and we would analyze them and build 3D models from them, locate uh, the videos or, or photographs within that 3D model and start telling a much more complicated story than what purely material architecture could tell you. That that sort of work, that sort of recreation must take a, a, a particular kind of uh, detailed and informed imagination. Yes, because there's always gaps in what you know. I'll give you an example. When, when, um, when we see those uh, viral videos of, let's say, police violence in the US, uh, you have always perpetrator and victim in the same frame. The, the, the video tells the entire the entire story, so to say. Uh, but for every video like that that you have, you'd have hundreds of videos of just before, just after, um, from different angles, that material that need to be composed. And when you have to compose multiple images, uh, in Gaza we had to compose about 7,000 images mm of uh, a single day of violence that unfolded in the 2014 war in Gaza, you need, the only way to do it is to build an architectural model and locate each one of those sources in space and and simulate the time and actually move from one image to the other and kind of tell a story that unfolds between images rather than within images, if you see what I mean. It says something about the, the nature of modern conflict, the fact of this, this specialty of forensic architecture. It, it, it tells us how much conflict is in an urban setting. 
Absolutely. Um, today, most violence, uh, most wars take place in cities. If the you know, so traditional war happens in a battlefield outside, somewhere in the landscape, today all the violence that we look at happens in cities, whether they are uh, in Aleppo, uh, in Gaza, mm. in um, in eastern Ukraine, etc. So architecture becomes an important frame in order to understand violence. It's uh, it's what, what what allows to put all these evidence together. Who commissions your work, and 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 to what use is it then put? So most of our clients, so to speak, are prosecutors, human rights groups, and political groups. We tend to work. For the victims of violence, uh, we don't work for states, for example. We'll never work for a military. And the product are, again, they are prosecution files. They could be parts of human rights reports or parts of initiatives uh, on the ground of the affected communities uh, themselves. And we work worldwide from Central South America to uh, East Asia. Uh, we're working in Indonesia as well as in uh, the Middle East, and uh, we work on different scales. Sometimes uh, on an urban scale, we're looking at what happened in an entire city over a period of time, and sometimes we look intensely at mm. 77 square meter of, of an internet shop in which, uh, that in Germany was a site of uh, neo-Nazi killing. Yeah, Weizmann is, is a forensic architect and he is explaining to us what, it, what precisely that means uh, here on Blueprint. I wonder, if perhaps you could paint us a bit of a picture, something of a case study. Take us to uh, an example of your work and, and what were you provided with as evidence and what did you conclude from it? So, very recently, we were asked to look at a strange case in Germany. The, uh, it was a killing that took place in 2006 of a German from Turkish background. And it became later apparent that the killers were uh, neo-Nazi groups. But there was also something very strange during that killing that was not previously resolved. There was, at the shop, at the time of the killing... Uh, a German uh, secret service agent that uh, was located at the back room while the killing took place in the front room. Somebody leaked the entire police investigation and we were very committed to reconstruct the murder from the photographs and video reconstructions that were there on the file in order to open up the case and show that the that Secret Service agent uh, might not be telling the truth by saying hmm. he was just there haphazardly uh, by chance, but that he might have been involved in a killing. So um, we were had to build that space. We had to build that shop in one-to-one. And while having uh, the timing of the movement of each of each one of the witnesses, because it was an internet cafe, each one was logged in. So we had to reenact uh, the killing, several versions of it. Within the space, uh, we actually shot, uh, or simulated the sound of a gunshot within, within that model and showed that that state agent, again, unlike what he said, would have had to hear that shot very clearly. And rather than say he hasn't heard anything and basically uh, leaving the scene without reporting to the police. And, and that led to a big controversy in Germany that is still unfolding 
and uh, that supports other such initiatives there where the role of some people in the Secret Service is being now problematized, being asked, people are asked to, to deliver testimony, etc., uh, on this case. So this is this was a very small-scale example. Uh, another example is when we needed to know the architecture of a Syrian prison where independent investigators and human rights people are not allowed in, mm-hmm. uh, we have been, through Amnesty, we met five of the survivors of this prison uh, who are now refugees in Turkey. And building architectural memories on on the computer uh, using CAD software, we have reconstructed with each their perception of the prison. Now, the problem there was that each one of those witnesses was blindfolded. They haven't really seen the space. They've heard the space. They counted steps and they counted doorways, etc., so each one had a slightly distorted model of the of the building in their head. But obviously, when you have five of them, you can start cross-referencing and approximate the architecture of the building. And for the first time, give a kind of a rendering of what it is like to be in a place that is a complete, mm. otherwise, a black hole. Something that we discovered, another thing that we discovered during that investigation is that Building architectural models with with witnesses allow them also to remember things that otherwise, with a simple kind of deposition, simply speaking to them without a model, uh, they would not have uh, remembered. Uh, our memory is a spatial thing. Our memory is a kind of an architectural machine, if you like, where by when when you locate somebody in a in a rendering of a space, in a kind of realistic rendering of a space, sometimes repressed uh, memories, sometimes the most difficult memories to to attain would come back to you. You've explained to us, I think, these first this first term, forensic architecture, an understanding of that, and that, of course, is the title of, of your book. The, the subtitle, though, intrigues yeah. me, Violence at the Threshold of Detectability. Tell us a bit about mm-hmm. that, this threshold of detectability that, as I understand it, pertains to the, the, the sort of photographic imagery that you can get access to. Exactly. Each one of our investigation has to cross a certain threshold. In particular, when we were looking at drone strikes in Pakistan, uh, American drone strikes in Pakistan, the signature they leave on a building is a small hole on their roofs because the Uh, kind of missiles the drones are using enters into the building. It has a delay fuse. It would go down one or two floors in the building and would blast only underneath. Now, the thing is that to monitor those, you often, and this is what UN agencies also do, Mm. use satellite images. Now, it so happened that the size of the pixel, that is the limit of visibility in a satellite image, is a 50 centimeters by 50 centimeters square on the ground. The size of the hole is about 30 centimeters square. <laughs> I, you cannot see those holes from the satellite image. They are just basically become part of the pixel. And that allows, or that allowed, uh, until around 2012, the U.S. to neither confirm nor deny the existing of that 
program. I, they were hiding. They were hiding their action under the veil of resolution. So beyond the threshold of detectability, uh, all those means that we do, whether reconstruction from memory, uh, reconstruction from social media material that people post on the ground, of these traces, the traces of these destructions. So we always have to be, let's say, more creative than uh, state uh, agencies and intelligence <laughs> agencies. <laughs> because you, you, you see, like state forensics always is based on a simple principle. The investigators must see more, must know more than the criminal. This is how you convict people. In counter forensics, I, in civil society forensics that look at state crime, by definition, you would have less of a visibility. You'd look at things in lower resolution and you would sometimes know less than the military that has operated there. So here architecture takes another meaning. It becomes a kind of a creative practice mm. of assembling, of building the model, of thinking through a solution, operating under the threshold of detectability, so to say. Eyal, thank you so much. What an extraordinary window into an, um, well, an unglimpsed, unimagined world. We do appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was nice speaking to you. Eyal Weitzman, he's Professor of Spatial and Visual Cultures at Goldsmiths College. He is the author of Forensic Architecture, Violence at the Threshold of Detectability.